Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're podcasting a Sunday morning Bible class for all of those who cannot be with us at the church building at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ each Sunday morning at 9.30. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and be with us, study with us, worship with us, grow spiritually with us in person at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street in Omaha. 3606 North 108th Street in Omaha. But now we know that a lot of people cannot be with us in person, and so we're podcasting these Sunday morning Bible classes for people who are listening in the area who cannot get out, or also people who are listening across the country and literally around the world. We're thankful to be able to to spread God's word, communicate it on such a widespread basis through the medium of the internet. And we're thankful that people are wanting to hear the word of God, that they're wanting to learn the scriptures of God's word. And we're thankful that God is blessing us and using us as instruments to help them along that line. Now, we want to encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can. Undoubtedly, you know people in your life, and I suspect probably some within your own family, who need to turn who need to turn their thinking around. They need to start thinking about their relationship with God, about their souls, about eternity, because it's coming. So help them to change their life, have a more spiritual mindset and focus by sharing these short studies with them. You can do that through Facebook friends, text messages, maybe some other technological means. But make that commitment and start sharing with everybody you can. Your family members, your friends, work associates, neighbors, again, literally everybody. You might help somebody get their life turned around and ultimately get into God's word and end up in heaven. What a great blessing that will be for them but it will also be a great blessing for you. So make that commitment and start sharing today. Also tell everybody you can to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the listen button at the top of the homepage and then sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. We're not after people's wallets. We want to help people get to heaven. When someone signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons. They'll also receive a really good daily, short, about a 13-minute Bible study every single day, seven days a week. Gets them into God's Word. They'll also receive our Monday through Friday daily radio program, Search the Scriptures. Now, our daily short study is today's Bible class. Again, our radio program is Search the Scriptures. At our website, people can also access hundreds of sermons. Now, many of those are now posted on, uh, in video format as well as audio format, but hundreds of others are still posted in audio format. You can download those and listen to any of those, and they cover a wide range of subjects. Also, people can download and study through and learn from hundreds of 
biblically based and, and spiritually focused articles covering, again, a wide range of topics. All of that is there. All of that is free for your using and for anybody's using. And again, it always will be free. So take advantage. Churchofchrist.com and encourage everybody you can to take advantage of this great study resource material as well. We're going to get back into our study from the book of Exodus. What a really instructive study this has been. When we're looking at Genesis, Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, we're talking, what, talking about the first five books of the Old Testament. We understand that Moses penned at least most of that, we believe, and these five books are referred to as the Pentateuch. And they are a, a grouping of five books that lay out the early history of mankind, the book of Genesis, the early chapters, and then God's developing the bloodline, which would become the nation of Israel, through whom the Savior would come into the world. In the book of Exodus, we pick up with the nation of Israel. They have developed from a single family, basically, the family of Jacob, coming into the land of Egypt to escape seven years of severe famine, they have stayed. Within the land of Egypt, they grew, they multiplied, they reproduced, and by the time we come to the book of Exodus, about 400 or 450 years later, after they first came into the land of Egypt, they're now a people numbering probably from one to three million people, maybe a little more than that. And after all of this time, a king or a pharaoh over Egypt had come into power who looked at all of these whom he considered basically foreign people within his land. He looked at them with concern. He was fearful that they could, because they had become so numerous, they could rise up and rebel against his government, his nation, and perhaps form an alliance without, with some outside nation who wanted to conquer Egypt, and together they could do exactly that. And so he basically put them into servitude, made slaves of them. He was harsh in the way he treated them. And so the people of Israel cried to God through prayer for deliverance. God sent Moses and his brother Aaron to confront Pharaoh and ultimately lead the people out of Egypt, out of that bondage, and to Mount Sinai where God would give them the law. And then, that is his spiritual law, Moses being the penman, and then lead them on to the land that he had promised to their forefathers, again, hundreds and hundreds of years before. That would be the land of Canaan. And God would give that land to them, and that would become the nation of Israel from a geographic and ethnic background. And through their bloodline, God would send the Savior into the world, 
hundreds and hundreds of years later. Well, we come to chapter 17. Moses has led the people out of Egyptian bondage. God has parted the Red Sea to allow them to cross over on dry land, and when Pharaoh's pursuing Egyptian army chased them into the sea, once all of the Israelites were safely on the other shore, God closed up the waters and destroyed the Egyptian army. But the people, as we've seen, and I keep saying humanity is fickle. We say one thing one day and somewhere a little where down the road, we're liable to change our minds. And so once they got a little way and spent a little time traveling through the wilderness to Mount Sinai to worship God, they started becoming concerned, uh, fearful. They were running out of food. They came to a place where there was no water. God provided the food for them, miraculously. And ultimately, as we read in chapter 17, God told Moses to strike a rock, and when he did that, water came forth, enough water for all of the people. And again, we're talking about a multitude of from one to three million people, probably. But God provided the water for them. God continued to take care of them. But being human again, they were fickle. As they became concerned about running out of food, they started complaining to Moses. As they were running out of, as they were at that place where there was no water, again, they were complaining to Moses. And they were wishing, they were voicing their wish that they, God had just left them in Egypt. They had food to eat there. Just let them die there. Well, again, how fickle. They had been diligently praying to God for deliverance, and God delivered them. They watched the ten plagues that God sent upon the Egyptians and ultimately bringing Pharaoh to his knees and letting them go. He watched, they watched God part the Red Sea and lead them through on dry land and then destroy the pursuing Egyptian army in those waters as God closed those walls of water back up on the Egyptian army. They saw all of that. They saw God provide the food for them when they were in danger of running out. But still, when they came to a place with no water, as we read in chapter 17, they complained again. But God stepped in again and took care of them. Now, chapter 18, we get into perhaps, oh, more of the common challenges of being a leader of a people, Moses being that human leader. In chapter 18, Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, so Jethro was the father of Moses' wife, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Okay, so now understand, Jethro was not there. He was not one in Egypt. He was not an Israelite. I think we can understand. 
Jethro was the priest of Midian, a distant land, but he heard about what happened. Well, now Egypt probably being the dominant nation or kingdom within that general area of the world at that time, things going on in Egypt of such a cataclysmic nature, the ten plagues, the army being destroyed, that, that news would get out on a widespread basis. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, heard about it, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. So he took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land, and the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So Moses, apparently when he went into Egypt to pursue God's mission of leading the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage, he sent his wife back to Midian. Well, they did not have the internet back then, did they? (laughs) Nor newspapers, nor radio or television, anything like that. Did not have a satellite system of communications, but still the word got out as it naturally would. And so Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, he hears about all that happened. And so in verse 5, And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. That would have been Mount Sinai. So Moses brings, I'm sorry, Jethro brings Moses' wife and Moses' sons back to Moses as he is encamped at Mount Sinai, or Mount Horeb as it's variously called, with all of the people of Israel. That must have been some sight. As Jethro would come along, however he would be traveling, either by foot or maybe on the back of a donkey or a mule or something, camel perhaps, and come and look upon that massive, vast camp of people around the base of Mount Sinai. Oh, that must have been a sight. He comes to see Moses. Verse 6, Now he had said to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Well, of course, they were Moses' two sons as well. We're talking, we're we're listening to a, a daddy speak about his daughter here and his grandchildren. So Moses went out, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. Let me separate the pages here again. All right, so Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down and kissed him, and they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. Well, the kissing him would have been a means of cordial welcome and probably also... uh, to some extent at least, glad to see you, missed you. It's it's a practice that 
families ought to still take up themselves. I, I made it a point over the last many years of my life when I would see my father after not having been with him for a long time, maybe months, when I first saw him, I would hug him and kiss him. Now that made him a little tense to begin with. He was a strong man, independent, but he got used to it after a while. When I get to be with my two sons, after we have been separated geographically for a long time, the first thing we do is we hug and kiss. They have no problem with that, and I'm thankful. I taught them along that line from early on. Moses and Jethro, his father-in-law, kissed. Moses kissed him, and they asked each other about their well-being and went into the tent. So they caught up a little bit, as we would do. How you doing? How are you feeling? You feeling good? Good health? Everything's okay? How is the trip? You know, you know the kind of somewhat small talk that we enter into when we get with a loved one we haven't seen for a long time. Verse 8, And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh, all, to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Well, now again, Jethro had already heard at least a general kind of, of, of communication of the news, but Moses gives him not just that, but fills him in on details as well. And then Moses also talks to him and tells him about the hardships that the people had experienced once they had entered into the wilderness and on the way to this particular place where they were camped now at Mount Sinai and that how, how God had delivered them in those situations and through those situations. Then Jethro rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro was rejoicing that God had been so true and so powerful in delivering, in delivering the people out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Remember how, how repressed the people were. Pharaoh had even gone to the extent in trying to control the populating of the Israelites within his land issuing an instruction that if anybody saw a newborn male Israelite baby in Egypt, they should drown him in the River Nile. Drown him. Well, we would say that's barbaric today. But then remember, we sanction abortion. How much difference is there? Well, we move on. Just a little side note there. We move on. In verse 11, Jethro continues, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Greater than all the gods? Uh, yeah, there are no true gods other than the Lord. 
For in the very thing in which they believed proudly, he was above them, or in which they behaved proudly, they, he was above them. You think about the Egyptians were idol-worshiping people, and yet their idols could not deliver them from the judgments that God brought upon them. And the basic reason being their idols were nothing more than statues and images created by they themselves, crafted through some kind of workmanship. They were not gods. They were just objects. No matter how many people believed in them as being gods, they were not gods. And so Jethro says, I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and offered, or in other sacrifices, to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So Aaron comes along with all the elders of Israel. They gather together and they eat a meal together. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had worshipped God by offering a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. In verse 13, And so it was on the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. Uh, judge the people? Yep, he was their, their leader, sent from God or by God to lead them. And so you say, judge the people? What is that about? People get together, they have issues with one another, don't they? They have issues among, they have issues among themselves, between each other, but they also have issues that come up within their own personal lives. And so they need somebody to sit in judgment and give them a determination of what they should do, Res help them resolve whatever the issues might be, either for them personally or in some kind of relationship with somebody else. You have one to three million people. Can you imagine how many issues would be brought before the judge, Moses? And so... Can you imagine this line of people lined up all day long from morning until evening coming before Moses for his determination of whatever the resolutions must be? How could they get how could Moses get anything else done? How could the people move forward? They were supposed to be moving toward the promised land to possess it, to, that, to, to make that their land. As long as people were lining up all day long to come before Moses for judgments, the camp would be largely stagnant. And so Jethro, his father-in-law, he's just kind of observing from the background or off to the side all of this going on. Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. Verse 14, so when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit? You alone sit, and all the people stand before you from morning until evening. 
And Moses said to his brother, to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. I'm God's messenger. They come to me to ultimately get judgment from God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me. And I judge between one and, one and another. And I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses is saying, I am God's spokesman. He was God's spokesman before Pharaoh. He was God's spokesman before the people of Israel while they were still in Egyptian bondage. And so now they're coming to him for judgment for God's guidance. Moses was God's spokesman. And so he's giving them God's judgments, God's guidance, God's instruction as they would come to him before him for judgment upon particular matters. In verse 17, So Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you do is not good. What? Is Jethro telling Moses, You're not being a good judge? It's not good that the people come before you for God's judgment? That's not what he's saying. He explains, the thing that you do is not good. But you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. One individual can only do so much by himself or herself. And Jethro was simply making an obvious observation. This is too much for you to do on your own. The thing you do is not good. It's going to wear you out. But not only it's going to wear you out, but what about all these people who are lined up coming to you for judgment day after day? Do you think they all get before you in one day? Almost certainly not. And so some are going to have to come back the next day, get back in line, so to speak, wait their turn again. And that's going to go on and on. And it's just going to take too long for resolutions to be made, to come to be. And so you're just, all of you, you and the people, the way you're doing this, you're all going to be worn out. And plus, from our perspective, we can say, you're never going to get to the promised land because <laughs> you're just going to be stuck here going through this process day after day. Both you and these people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice, Jethro says. Now Jethro is giving advice to his son-in-law. I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Now, what he's telling them, what he's telling Moses, his son-in-law is, gather the people together. And you, we might compare this to preaching today or teaching a class today. You tell all the people the laws of God. 
what God expects from them. Stand before, stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God and you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. So give them instruction as to all of the law of God, all of his statutes, what he expects of them as his people. Now once you've laid that out, then in verse 21 he says, Moreover, you shall select men from all the people, able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So you're going to break down the leadership. Now all of these leaders the leaders of thousands and the leaders of hundreds and the leaders of fifties, the leaders of tens, they're all going to be under your supervision and governance, basically. But they're going to take the task of being basically the, the underling judges. You've taught all the people after you've done that, the laws of God, the statutes of God, what God expects of them, how he expects them to live and serve him. Be obedient to him. Now then these then instead of all the people coming directly to you, they're going to go through this, we would call it today from a military perspective, a chain of command. But it's also from a business perspective. You don't go right away to the owner of the business or the CEO. You go to your supervisor, and then that supervisor probably has another supervisor above him and so on, on up the chain. And so he says, they will come to those who are over them. First, to the rulers of the, of the tens, and then the rulers of the fifties, and the hundreds, and the thousands, and so on. And those particular underling, serving judges, serving you as well as the people, then if they need to come to you, they will come to you. But not all of the people will come to you directly. Verse 22, let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they, they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. Now we have that kind of system in our judicial system in our country today. You have the Supreme Court, and then you have the appellate court, and then you have lower level courts, and ultimately come down to the municipal courts, county judges, and so on. And so first people go to the particular court system that applies to their particular need, and then they may progress on up the chain of the judicial authorities, but they don't go right to the Supreme Court. If everybody did that, again, our judicial system would be bogged down even more than it is and basically become, to a great extent, non-functional. And so Jethro tells him, let the people go to their particular rulers or judges on up the chain, and then if any of those judges cannot resolve their matters that have been brought before them, they can bring it to you but you will only see the most 
serious, perhaps, or the most pertinent ones, the ones that the judges below you cannot handle themselves. Verse 23, if you do this thing and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure and all this people will also go to their place in peace. It'll really be better for the people. They can be more confident and more at peace, Jethro says. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Now remember what Jethro gave him as a standard. These should be able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness. So quality individuals. So they judged the people at all times, the hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went his way to his own land. What great sage advice Moses' father-in-law gave him to help him in the work that God had sent him to take care of, leading the people of Israel to the promised land. How we need to learn ourselves. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us so much, and thank you for giving us such instruction in your word, and that instruction being so common sense. Help people to come to you, to learn your word, to have an open mind, to receive it, understand it, and an open heart to embrace it and use it as their guidelines in their personal lives. We pray this, Father. Help people to see their need to believe in you and in your word. The greatest guidebook with the greatest promises and hope that is available to mankind and all to your glory, Father. Please forgive us. We pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen.